there was a king in England. His name was Richard I. And Richard I was reigning. It was like a co-reign with a guy named Philip. And Richard also had a younger brother whose name was John. And John was probably pretty jealous of, of Richard being the firstborn and being the king. And so Richard went on a crusade, and he was gone. And on the way back, actually on his way through Germany, he was captured, and he was uh, taken a prisoner. So there was this time when he was absent, and they didn't know, is he going to come back or not? And so and you might recognize the story from uh, the uh, Robin Hood. That's you know where we see some of that is where Richard eventually comes back. But John was, was taking that position while he was absent, and so he was acting as the king. But the whole time, the people knew, and, and John himself knew, and Richard knew, Richard is the true king. And even though he wasn't on the throne at the time, they knew there's a false king who's acting as the king. And on the other side, there's this true king, and he will come, and he seized, eventually, he seized his, his throne. And so tonight, in the, in the text that I, that I want to look at, we see that same theme. We see that same idea of a false king, and then we see the coming of a true king. And so if you would, look with me in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, in the second chapter, so Matthew 2. We'll be looking at the verses uh, 1 through 12. And Matthew writes to us, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are tonight, for your goodness and kindness, and for the revelation that you've given us through your word, and that we can open your word and and hear what you have to say to us today. And Lord, I just pray that you would use um, me as your servant to just speak truth, um, keep the words in my mouth that, that I shouldn't be speaking, and just um, let me speak the words that you have me say, and I pray that you would edify your people and that they would have ears to hear uh, the truth that you have um, in your word for them. Lord, please be with us tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. And so before I want to start getting into the specifics of the text, I just want to um, 
point out how when you, when you read the Bible, it's, it's very helpful to read the, the word for what it is and to read it um, in, the, in the genre that it is. And so tonight we're looking at a, a narrative passage, and it's, it's, it's been very helpful to me to, to look at it kind of in the way you probably learned in high school, somewhere on the way that a narrative, you have this introduction, you have a setting, there's certain characters that are introduced, and then there's something is going on, there's a plot, and then there's rising tension, and it goes up to the climax, and you know, that's the highlight of the story, and then after that there's maybe a follow-up story or a little bit of, of an aftermath. And so it's very helpful sometimes. Like, it's not a black and white, always right and wrong way to look at narrative in the Bible, but it is a very helpful way. In, in tonight's story, you will see that, is looking at, the, at, the, um, at this passage as a narrative and seeing how Matthew is, is showing us something as he tells us a story, and then on that climax point, that's where we can find the, the key teaching of this passage. And, 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 and that way, we're, we're protected from just reading something into the text that we would like to see, and we're reading, you know, we're not just looking for something that we would like to hear, but we're just saying, hey, Matthew, just speak to us today and, and, and let us see what you have us see. And so... Um, I mentioned Matthew as, as the author of this text. Matthew, probably the, the same Matthew that we hear about in, in chapter 9, verse 9. He's, he was a tax collector, so he was a, he was a Jew. And he probably wrote somewhere, some would say before, AD 70, when the temple was destroyed, some say after. Um, but um, So what we see then also is, in the book of Matthew, of importance is that we see who he is writing to, and like I said, Matthew was a Jew, and he's probably writing to an audience that is um, of a Jewish background. They're, they're Christians, but they have a Jewish background where um, Matthew is now trying to explain to them. They probably had some doubts of whether Jesus, was he really the Messiah? Was he really the one that was promised in the Old Testament? And so what Matthew is trying to do through his gospel is showing the reader, yes, yes, indeed, he is that Messiah. He is the one that was promised to us from the Old Testament. And so that's, that's what we can keep in mind as we look at this text is every part of the book of Matthew is, is showing us that. And so just in the same way, this passage, um, chapter 2, is also trying to show us one aspect of that truth. And so as I said, Matthew writes this to an audience that was Jewish background, they're Christians, but in the same way, this is still relevant for us today, even though we're not, or most of us are not from a Jewish background, it's still important for us today because we, when, you, when we read this claim that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the Savior, we still need to um, consider that as important because <coughs> Matthew writes this to the original audience, but today he's writing it to us and saying, look, Jesus is the Messiah, and he came, and he was the promised one. And so now today, you still need to respond to that claim. You still need to see how that is relevant for us today. And so looking into the text then, we see in, in, chapter, in chapter 2, verse 1, that's what I mentioned with that setting. So Matthew is setting up uh, the situation in which he tells us the narrative. And so in chapter 1, He's told us that Jesus is the Christ. So he's already made a claim that Jesus is the Christ who was from the line of David. And so he's saying, this is who he is, and this is the family he's from. And now he's telling us where he was born. 
And so that, that is also very significant, as we'll see. And then he says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. And so the days of Herod the king, that was probably, you know, Herod probably died 4 B.C., so this is, must have been somewhere prior to that. Um, so that's the setting that we have just before the turn of the, of the century. And it says, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So another way, I'll probably re- be referring to them as magi. That's a little bit more helpful to, um, to describe these, these men coming from the east. And, and um, coming from the east, also we're not 100% sure. That could have been Babylon. That could have been Persia, maybe Arabia. So um, somewhere east, obviously, of um, Palestine. Um, and so they came to Jerusalem. And what I want you to notice is that they're coming to Jerusalem. That is the center of Jewish worship. And so they're, they're coming to the Jews. But look, um, these are wise men, or like I said, magi. And that, that term is referring to somebody who was maybe an astrologer, dream interpreters, or even magicians is what they could have been. So those are all things that Jews didn't look to for wisdom. Those are things even condemned in the law. So Jews would look to the law if they wanted to interpret um, their lives and, and um, their worldviews. And so here are these men coming from outside of Jerusalem. These are Gentiles, non-Jews. They're coming in, and look at what it says then. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And so they're the ones who are now um, explaining why they came because they, they're asking for the king of the Jews that... And that's probably a Gentile way to refer to the Messiah. And we'll see that later as well. And it then says, For we saw a star, his star, when it rose, and have come to worship him. So now we see, you know, we have the setting of where it took place, when it took place. And um, we have the first characters introduced to us. And, um, and now they're explaining why they came. So they, they saw the star. And now, um, like I said, they, they could have been from Babylon, like I mentioned. And so some would say that this is going all the way back to Daniel when you know, he was in Babylon in, in, in exile. And so this is, some would say this, this could have been through his influence that this group of people had some of the Jewish scriptures, um, potentially in, in Numbers 24, 17. It's, it's talking about a star rising um, to Jacob. And so that potentially could be the, the verse that this is referring to. And so... Note, though, what is very important here is this, is this idea of what I mentioned before, that these are non-Jews, these are Gentiles, and they're actually the ones asking for the king of the Jews. And so if you think of the first century, the, the Jews, very exclusive people, you had to be born into a Jewish family to be a true Jew. And, and here are these people wanting to worship the king of the Jews, but they're actually not Jews, but they're Gentiles. And so that is a, the first point um, I want to make tonight is that um, how God can draw anybody to Himself, and so that is that is I think a very important theme that we see here in this passage. But then we will see it um, if you look in all throughout Matthew. You see this idea that they're Jews and they're the ones who have the scriptures and they're the ones who have the prophecies about the Messiah. But look, it's Gentiles who are actually coming to worship the king of the Jews. And so there are other examples. Um, For example, in chapter 4, 
John the Baptist is talking to the Pharisees, the, the Jewish leaders, and he is saying, don't say to yourselves that we are descendants of Abraham because God can raise children of Abraham from rocks. Meaning, don't think that you're a child of God because you're born into a certain family. Because God can make anybody a child of God. And then we see that in chapter 8, for example, there is a centurion, a Roman, a pagan worshiper, and he comes to faith in Jesus. So there's another example. And then in the end, we see that in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, go um, into all the nations. And so we see that constant theme in the book of Matthew that that, um, I want to point out to you here is this contrast between those who are Jews who should be responding in a proper way, but it's actually the Gentiles who are responding in, a, in the proper way and, and how God can, like I mentioned, he can draw anybody to himself. He can make anybody his child. And then also, I want to read to you Galatians 3.28. It's the same idea that Paul picks up where, where he writes to us, there is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now now listen to this, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So here Paul picks up that same idea is being a descendant of Abraham, meaning being a child of God, is not about where you're from, where you were raised, where you're born, but it's actually about having faith. And so what that means for us today is that we shouldn't take it for granted. I think it's really easy for us to take it for granted that you know, we're here and you know, we can become Christians. But looking back at this text, is that's not something that, ju- that the Jews were excited about. They weren't waiting there and saying, well, I can't wait till all these Gentiles come in and we can all be children of God together. They actually, you see in Matthew, they react hostile towards Jesus. And, and they're not excited about these Gentiles coming in. But that means for us today, we, we can look at that and be in awe and say, God, thank you for making salvation available to everyone, to every nation, to every people group. And so whether you're American or German or Korean, it doesn't matter. God can draw anybody to himself. There are no restrictions, and you don't need to be born into a certain family, but you can become a child of God through faith in Jesus. And then going on through um, with chapter, uh, verse 3, is now we'll see, so we saw that um, there's, a two, there's the two different people. There's Gentiles, and then there's Jews. And what we'll see now is a twofold response. So we'll see this claim that they made. There's a, a king of the Jews. He is born. And there's a twofold response that we see in verse 3 and following. And so as you think of responses, that's kind of what, what I experienced when, when I was in the German Navy. They would teach us all kinds of things. They would teach us you know, basics, and you know, they would just give you all these information, all these things you had to learn. But one of the very important things was if an officer would speak to you, and in basic training, they would um, most likely be yelling at you, is if you're standing there in attention and you're listening and you're looking them straight in the eye, they would tell you something to do, and then you would say, sir, yes, sir, or as you probably are wondering in German, that sounds something like, jawohl, Herr Bobotsmann. And so, and then you would 
turn on and go and do whatever they told you to do. And so now think if you were standing there and this officer is yelling at you, giving you instructions, and you kind of, sure, I'll, I'll see what I can do. You probably would do that once and then never again <laughs> because the consequences of your response would, you know, would be probably pretty bad and then after that you would, you would learn fairly quickly. And so there's a, an expected response that they, that they taught us, that they trained us in. You don't just stand there and say, oh, oh I'll see what I can do, but you, there's a certain way you have to respond. And so in the same way, we're going to see a twofold response now. One, that is the right response, and then there's also a wrong response. And so we'll start by looking at how not to respond to the coming of King Jesus. So this is how you do not want to respond to the coming of King Jesus. And as in verse 3, we read, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. So here we see his response. We see his response of being troubled. Um, He's pretty concerned of what he just heard. And all Jerusalem with him. So remember, we just had these Gentiles make the claim. There was the Jewish, the king, the the, uh, the true king of the Jews has been born. And the response is, Herod is troubled. And with him, all Jerusalem... It's probably not referring to every single person in Jerusalem, but it's probably um, the ruling authorities. Those are in political offices with them. And you should also know that, that Herod wasn't a king by birth. He wasn't part of the line of David, like I pointed out Jesus was, but he was actually appointed by the Romans when they conquered this area, and he wasn't actually a true Jew. So he was from a family and they accepted the Jewish faith, and then he was appointed. And so to the Romans, that's all the same. But to the Jews, they knew he wasn't a true Jew. He shouldn't have been the king. He is not the true king. And then part of his response is also in verse 4, assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So what he then does is he gathers the Jewish religious authorities, this is probably Sanhedrin meeting, um, probably in a hasty meeting. They just gathered them quickly. And these are the people that know the Jewish scriptures. If there's any question on the Jewish scriptures, these are the guys that know them. And he gathers them, and he wants to find out where, now it says where the Christ was to be born. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, these these magi from the east, they were referring to him as the king of the Jews. And so the Jews then... (coughs) would refer to the same person as the Messiah, or Christ in this case. And so this is this man that was promised to the Jewish people. This is this man that everybody is waiting for, the king that would fulfill these Old Testament prophecies. He is that suffering servant in Isaiah. And so, and you can see that there, that there is this common this, um, consensus that there's a certain place where he's going to be born. Everybody knew this prophecy, and so the answer that they give him in verse 5 is they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. So they can even give him proof text. They can give him scripture to prove. This is where it says, verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no, mean, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so Herod now, in his troubled response, gathers all the Jewish leaders, and he wants to find out, where is this king going to be born? And they give him the answer. And so 
Like I said, in chapter 1, we see Matthew establishing the fact Jesus is from the line of David. And you can kind of think of it in, if you want to think of it as in checkboxes. So if, if somebody's saying, here's the Jewish Messiah, then the Jews are going to say, well, wait a minute. Is he from the line of David? Oh, yes, check. So is he born of a virgin? Chapter 1, yes, check. And then, well, where is he from? Is he from Bethlehem? Was he born in Bethlehem? Well, Matthew is showing us, yes. So another checkbox of Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies. And uh, what we see here is, pro- is from Micah 5.2, the first part of the prophecy, and then 2 Samuel 5 is where this reference is from. And it's just showing us Jesus is this fulfillment. And, and then in verse 7, it says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and a certain and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. So this is still part of his, of his response. So this is still how you should not respond to Jesus coming as the king. And, he's, and it says that he, um, he gathered them secretly. And we'll know from, from the following passage is why he wanted to know this question. Because he was trying to do it secretly because he was just trying to dearly hold on to his throne. Like he knew he's not the true king. And if there's somebody making this claim, then he might be in serious trouble. And so he, that's why he secretly gathers them, and he wants to know when the star appeared. And uh, we all know the story of Herod then killing all these infants and these young children because he had found out when the star appeared and then drawn the conclusion, well, everybody who falls into that category needs to die. And then in verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So going on in his response, Herod is now trying, he makes sure that they really find out where he was because he, he wants to see him dead. And he even goes on to lie about his intentions. And so though, for, the, for, the, for these wise men or magi, you, you probably want to, um, they were probably... Um, a little suspicious because here's the ruler who doesn't know about this other ruler and all of a sudden he wants to pay, you know, he wants to, to worship him. So they're probably a little suspicious of the king wanting to worship the man who was supposed to replace him as the new king. And then in, in verse, verse 9, it goes on to say, After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen went uh, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And so now they've heard the instructions from Herod, please tell me where he was or where he was born and then come back and tell me. And so they go on to Bethlehem. And this is very interesting and something has, that's just helpful for me to understand this a little bit better, but definitely not something to get in, into an argument about what, um, what the star really is. So there have been many um, interpreters who have said this is a comet because it says it's, it's moving. There are others who say it was the supernova or um, two stars coming so close together that it was this really bright star or even two planets coming together so close. But then if you see in, the, in verse um, 2, they were saying we saw, we saw a star when it rose. And then that star 
directed them to Jerusalem. And then also, and then later in, in the verse 9 that we're looking at right now, it's saying that the star rose again, and then it is, it is in this moving, it is moving, and then it comes to rest over this house. And so thinking about astronomy, it's, it's a little bit hard to imagine that the star um, is a star in the way that we think of it today, is this giant light bulb that is millions of light years away from here and thousands of times larger than the earth, that that star would actually come and hover over one house. Um, yeah, that is a little bit difficult to imagine. But what's also helpful then in, in understanding this is seeing some of the connections in the Old Testament and in other ancient writings is that people back then, they wouldn't really think of stars the way that we think of them as this, you have a scientific explanation of what, what a star is. But they would rather think of these heavenly bodies. They would move around, and, and some would even start worshiping them and look at them as gods. And so there are all these um, different views. And so we can assume that Matthew probably wasn't thinking of a star the way that we think of a star today. And then what we can also find is that stars have oftentimes been connected with angels. And so for me, a, a very helpful interpretation was to, to think of this as an angel who is directing these magi from the east um, because then we can actually make sense of them seeing it at one point and then later on seeing it again and then that star or potentially an angel moving and actually coming to one specific house to, for them to see. Um, and then we see in the Old Testament as well, we see the, the angel of the Lord leading the people out of, Israel, out of Egypt and in the New Testament, after Jesus resurrected, we see an angel appearing in this bright light uh, that is like lightning. And so there, there are some texts that, that can actually, you know, we can connect to this. And like I said, it's not something to get into a big argument about. But for me, it's been very helpful to just think of this as an, actually, as an, as an angel that is directing these, these magi from the east. And in verse 10, uh, Matthew goes on to say, When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And so this phrase here is, is really trying to tell us they were really, really excited. They, they weren't just saying, oh, there it is. Yeah, high five. Woo. Um, so rather, they've been on a long, long journey, maybe months and months that it took them to get to Jerusalem and, and then even longer to find out from Herod where was he going to be born and then they had to go another five miles or so to Bethlehem. And, and so they must have been really, really excited. Here is the place. Just think of it. You're, you're traveling so far and you're, you're wondering about this king and you're, you know this is the fulfillment of a prophecy that you've read about. And here you go and finally you're standing outside the door of this house and there's just this excitement. And, and that's what I think where we can see that tension. We've, we've already seen that tension rising with the wise men coming into Jerusalem. Then we see the reaction of the Jews, and so there's this rising tension. Now we see this almost at the climax point is where they're so excited. Here it is. We finally get to see this king that we went through all this trouble for. And, and that's also, like I mentioned before, we have them as Gentiles representing one way of response, and that is in um, stark contrast to Herod because Herod was concerned. He was worried. He was troubled. And here we have the Gentiles who are just so excited. 
So I think Matthew is trying to show us here's this difference between those who are born Jews, but that's actually not what matters. It matters how you respond to the king. And that is with this excitement. And then further, we see in verse 11 then, the second point is how to respond to the coming of King Jesus. So we saw, leading up to here, how not to respond. Now we're going to see how you should respond. And that is, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense and myrrh. So here we see this how to respond. We see them falling down and worshipping Jesus. And so, yeah, like I mentioned, this is, this is where it comes to this climax. Is they're finally here. Here's the point. And what is their reaction? They're not troubled. They're not worried. But they're falling down in worship. And so this is how you should respond to the coming of King Jesus. And these gifts, and, um, they indicate, if you look at them, there's gold. That is, back then, like it is today, it's just a sign of immense riches. <coughs> that is not something that the average Jew or average Jewish family would just carry around in their pockets. That is something of immense riches. And then frankincense is this um, expensive, uh, these expensive spices um, from Arabia that, that also um, were really expensive. And then myrrh is, is an ointment um, that was used for worship or sometimes special occasions. So all these gifts are indicating this is something very special. They're giving him their best. And they're giving him something that was really expensive and, and really special at the time. And like I mentioned before, Matthew, the entire book is, is pointing back to the Old Testament through the way that, that um, Matthew quotes the scriptures, the way that he, the Old Testament text is interwoven in the text to remind us this is really, this is really the Messiah. This is the, prof- the prophesied one. And so here's another example where maybe if, if we're not as familiar with it, we might overlook this, but the Old Testament, or the, the Jew who knew the Old Testament well, would have thought, what, wasn't there another king that a Gentile came to to offer gifts? And um, in First Kings 10, 1 through 10, we see the queen of Sheba, who was a Gentile, not a Jew, she came to Solomon, and she was also offering him gifts. So here we see this example of an Old Testament text. It's not quoted, it's just alluded to it's just in the background and so we see here there's this gentile group of of men recognizing the king and so back when we had queen sheba she was also recognizing solomon and his wisdom and so there's this contrast again jew and how they respond and now gentile and how they respond and there's and then also read to you uh, psalm 72 10 through 11 just to to emphasize that a little bit more, where the psalmist says, May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. This is talking about the Messiah. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. So here we see this example that kings come, or or these wise men. So we had Queen Sheba come to Solomon, and now we have these and these men from the east coming, and they're offering him gifts. And then it says, even may all kings fall down before him. So, like I mentioned before, we have Jesus here presented as the true king, and all the other kings will fall down before him, like these wise men 
or um, magi were falling down before him in worship. And then verse 12, um, like I mentioned, we have this climax, we have this high point, and then there's a little bit of a, of just of the aftermath of the passage, and a little bit of a, of a comfort, I think, for, for the reader who might have heard this for the very first time, and they're thinking, well, is, are they going to go back? Are they going to tell Herod? Well, no, because uh, Matthew writes that being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So that is just concluding the story, is that they now, after offering their gifts and after worshiping the true king, they went off and into their own, um, into back into their own country. And so we saw that in verse, in verse 2, we see that um, God can um, draw anybody to himself. So we see that it's not about where you're from. It's not about um, who you are, where you grew up, or what country you're from. And, and that's very important for us today when we go out into all the nations like Jesus commanded us. That, that means we're going to Fisherville, to Taylorsville, but we're also going to Utah, to the Mormons. We're also going to South Africa and all kinds of different places um, fulfilling that um, commandment of Jesus. And then also we saw how not to respond to the king and then how to respond to the king who is Jesus. And so Matthew writing to us today, we're called to respond to that, to that claim. We're, we're called to respond to the claims that Matthew makes. That is, the Old Testament, all these prophecies have been fulfilled in one man. It's all done. Jesus is truly the Messiah. And Matthew will go on to tell us a lot more stories of what Jesus did, but most importantly, he will tell us about um, his suffering. And he will tell us about him being crucified, even though he was the only man who lived without sin. So he was the one who least deserved death and, and judgment, but he was the one who took on judgment. And then in Matthew 28, we'll, we'll see is that he rose from the dead. And he fulfilled all um, that was promised, and he defeated on the cross sin and death so that everybody who believes in him may have eternal life. And so Matthew is making that claim. He's showing us all throughout the book, and we just saw a small part of that today, how he was pointing at the location where this Messiah was born to prove he is that true king. But then later on, we have to see it in the book of Matthew. Is that is part of this big claim that Jesus is the Son of God who came, lived, suffered, and died uh, for our sins. So think about that response today. Are you responding to Jesus in faith? Are you responding to Matthew's claims in faith saying, yes, Jesus is that Messiah. I believe in him. I believe that he died for my sins on the cross and you're falling down in worship and offering him gifts? Or are you like um, the Jews who were not recognizing that and they were not seeing that and instead um, they might have been bored by that or they just didn't care or they might have been fearful or troubled? And so just think about that um, today let's pray